Welcome into episode 222 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike, and we want to thank you for listening for another year. We are going to wrap up 2019. Uh, we have another episode here of all listener questions. Next week, we're going to do a little bit of uh, predictions for next year and look back on what we thought was pretty cool about this year. Um, anyway, so we just want to make sure we thank you for listening and tuning in, making this show uh, all worthwhile for Mike and I. And this episode in particular is sponsored by Simmons. Simmons uh, Simmons Drums just recently introduced a new kit. It's the SD1200. This features all mesh pads. It has a custom sound library that includes vintage and world percussion. It's a large, easy-to-read LCD screen. Um, it has wireless Bluetooth and USB connectivity, and there's also an iOS app that's free that you can use to customize the sounds, and it also allows for external sampling. This kit is available at Guitar Center stores and online. You can get it at musiciansfriend.com. You can also visit simmonsdrums.net to get more details on this kit. Um, Check it out. Again, that's the SD1200 electronic kit. If you're looking to get yourself um, a nice kit for at home or in your studio or for your students or for a friend or family, uh, check them out, simmonsdrums.net. All right, let's get this show rolling. We have a lot of questions to get to. Of course, Mike and I don't actually get to them for a long time. Anyway, here we go. Let's get rolling. It is 222. We are coming in hot. We are going to send this year off on a bang with a whole lot more questions to answer that we have been really slow to get to. Our apologies. You know what? Not anymore. <laughs> From now on, we, you and I both get six words total to answer each question. We're going to fire through these yeah, you Maybe we should be like, okay, we don't both have to answer every question. Okay. Maybe. There. Okay. Let's see. If one Let's of us try just that gives today. the answer, it's just like, okay, good, next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because generally we both chime in with a, I totally agree with you, but now let me pontificate for six more yeah, minutes exactly. to make sure I got my point sometimes, in. Okay. You know, right. Sometimes we go, you know, it, it leads us in a nice discussion, but I think in general... Maybe that's a new policy. Whoever speaks first, if that's good enough, we move on. <laughs> the Dan Patrick Show has a policy of cut it in half and then cut it in half. Really? Whatever your answer was going to be. Well, for one guy that talks too much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like, before you open your mouth, cut your answer in half and then cut that in half. <laughs> and then you can answer. <laughs> so we'll give that a go. Hope you guys are all doing amazing. We know you guys got the Christmas season coming up and the holiday <laughs> season it's a tough time because you think you're going to get to practice more, but then family comes over and you're not allowed to practice. Yeah. Because it's I guess it's rude if your entire family's over to lock yourself in your drum room and rip for an hour. I, I have no problem with it. I tried to hack the system. I gave my father an electronic drum set, so whenever I'm at their house, <laughs> yeah, I get buddy. to play the electronic <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been I've I have a kit at my brother in law's house. Nice. I have a kit at my friend Lou's cabin up in uh, wow, Truckee. Nice. And so the the places that I go besides here generally have kits under the guise of man, you deserve this. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve it. But whenever I'm in town, get off it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. How have you been, man? I haven't seen you in a week and a day. I was in L.A. last time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of strange. I feel like it's been forever. But that was because you were in a hotel. You were in the middle of, I guess you had just wrapped the Vic Firth stuff. And then we right. hadn't talked about what you were doing with Gretsch. So I only saw the teaser clips. It looked pretty epic hanging with Mark and Victor. So you got to fill us in. What the heck was going on? 
Yeah, so that was actually so much fun. Uh, that was at Larrabee Studios, which is legendary. I mean, Michael Jackson recorded there, Madonna recorded there. It's been there forever. So an amazing studio. And when we started prototyping the Brooklyn Standard and we started talking about, okay, well, how are we going to release this? I said, when we do the actual video stuff, I'd really like to involve some other drummers so that I don't want this to be a signature snare. Like, I want it to be called the Brooklyn Standard. I get it. Even on the inside, it does say uh, created in collaboration with Mike Johnston. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say Mike Johnston's signature snare. So anyways, we had talked about different drummers. Well, I mean, keep in mind, we prototyped this thing for a long time. I in like that you time, we were talking about it for a long time ago. Didn't it go from like aluminum to brass? Oh, yeah. To, you went through everything. Oh, yeah. We tried everything. And even years before that, Mark and I worked together on it Right when, when Gretsch was on its own out in New Jersey. So anyways, uh, so in that time, Mark moved to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. I, th- I thought, okay, well, that would be great, not just because we're friends, but just because of how massively different our styles are and the whole point of this drum. If there's any selling point of this drum, it's the versatility mm-hmm. because of the internal muffle, because of the bearing edges, because it's a sensitive wood drum. So Mark was a easy call. And then my other thought was, all right, let's have Mark do his thing, whatever that is. And then I really wanted to have Jason McGurr be involved. Mm-hmm. And for a bunch of different reasons, it just wasn't going to work out. And Gretsch suggested Victor Andrizo. Yeah. And to be totally honest, I didn't know who he was. Um, Most people probably don't, but they've definitely heard him in movies. They definitely do know who he is. I mean, it's and his track list is insane. But so he's yeah. So that was like the the uh, that was what was really cool. Is so the way it worked was we all came together. Uh, Mark and I obviously know each other. We both met Victor there at the studio, instantly went drum geek, and uh, Victor was in a band called Sam I Am, so I was like, oh my gosh, we all know the same people then, because we would have toured at the same time, and so we're talking about all that stuff, and immediately the crew runs over and is like, we got to lav you up, you guys are doing drum nerd talk, we need to capture this, you know, I was like, no, 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 it's going to ruin it. Yeah, you can't start over, no. Yeah, it's like, no, we're in it, and so... uh, and and so then, yeah, we just, the way they did it was they had three kits there. Mark was on a new finish that's coming out of the Brooklyn Micro Kit. Oh, cool. Victor was on a Catalina that, because of his studio-ness, he was able to make sound better than any USA Custom I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, he just tuned it a, a little bit, put some gels on, and then it was just like, okay. Uh, even the Even the engineer who, you know, the engineer was a house engineer that... We had a, a producer that works for Gretsch DW and everything, does all the drum channel stuff. And then we had a house engineer who didn't know he just who any of us were. Yeah. He just knows the room. And he was like, what is that kit? And we were all like, oh, that's $600. <laughs> he was like, what? Um, no, also could have helped who, the way that Victor yeah. plays yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, who, whose yeah. hands are those is really the question. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so uh, we all had our – and then I brought my uh, my vintage 60s kit. So no. we all had our own kit, and Not then we the all white, used. I thought you were using the white marine pearl. Well, so that was um, that was part of this was that Mark's kit, the new finish. Uh, well, I guess we'll just spoil it. It's going to be white marine pearl. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> thanks a lot, Dawson. See it, so, <laughs> so yeah, see it, Nam, for the brand new finish reveal. So, anyways, uh, so yeah, so my Gretsch rep called me and said, "Hey, Mark's going to be using white marine pearl." 
do you have anything else that you could bring? And I was like, well, yeah, I could, I could bring my sixties kit. And they were just, everyone was like, yes, do that. Okay, cool. So I brought that. And that's why that was at the Vic Firth shoot is cause I brought it for the Gretsch stuff. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, so, so we all had our own kits, our own setups, our own symbols. And then we all played the Brooklyn standard snare and then individually. And then they did an interview. And the, the cool part was when they did the interview with Victor, he just dropped it wasn't an ego drop. It's just his life. It's mm. not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> but they were like, so how are you liking the snare? And the first thing he said was like, oh, I'm loving it. I think it's on about five movies already. <laughs> and <laughs> both, both Mar- I, I looked at Mark and I'm like, how many movies are you on right now? And he's like, I think zero. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm at like negative four. <laughs> like, and they're probably I, like I, huge movies like Jumanji oh, or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, like he, he name dropped a few of them for us. And I was like, oh, geez. And he's like, yeah, man. And he was, he was really being very honest. He was like, dude, it's kind of my main snare now. And cause he's had it for, I think two or three months. Okay. And then he's like, I've got a couple producers now that are ordering one for their studio No um, kidding. because I was playing. So it was really cool. So that was nice <clears throat> to hear other drummers play on the drum. Uh, obviously to hear somebody like Mark play on the drum who I think can, he has so many different Sounds. I feel like Mark definitely has a style, but he can do anything with any anything and make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of cool to to hear Mark experiment with it, and then to see Victor use it. Victor mm. was using it like, "Hey, this is a job." Mark was almost exploring it in the moment and finding out what it could do. And so to see both of those things happening, so I had a blast with that. And then, yeah, so the footage should come out right before Nam. So, so it should be cool. Oh, we were talking before. I have the drum here. I did some preliminary testing uh, which we'll definitely dig into when the review comes out in a couple uh, I think it's the March issue I have it scheduled okay. for so not too long for now but one question yeah why the wide wires sure so the goal initially we, we tried to I wanted a metal drum I wanted a 14 by 5 and a half brass okay. drum and they Gretsch has just always done 14 by 5 or 14 by 6 and a half they mm-hmm. don't do 5 and a half metal shells so they made me. I think you saw the prototype of the f- uh, the five inch deep powder coated brass. Yep. It was like um, black powder coated brass shell, and it was perfect. Perfect is the dream drum only at my tuning, and mm. it couldn't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. And anything else? And I mean, I, I feel like any drum can do the. I took out the two tension rods by my crotch thing. Yeah, like super. It dead. Just because yeah. it's out of yeah. So it could do that, and it could do my tuning, but it really wasn't a very versatile drum. And that, to me, would have made it a true signature drum, mm-hmm. meaning yeah. it sounds good when you tune it just like me and play it just like me. So that wasn't what I wanted. So then when we switched to the 5.5, so we could get a little more volume out of it for our, my rock students, then we we had to go to wood. And when we went to wood, we lost that sensitivity of the metal shell. Mm-hmm. So I just asked Paul Cooper, the guy who actually makes the drums at Gretsch in South Carolina, at the Ridgeland factory, I just asked him, what can we do to make this drum more sensitive? And his first first thing was, if they'll let me do it, let's do double 45 edges. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And that's very anti-Gretsch. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's like, if they'll let me do it, I'll do that. Uh, and he's like, well, there is precedence because that's what we do on Vinny's snare. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, God. Well, then just, yeah, do just it. do it. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then his other thought was, he was like, you know, I don't know how you feel about the 42 strand snare wires. I'm like, oh, I hate them. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. it'll really do 
two things for this drum. It'll make it a lot more sensitive, but it will also cause the drum to be a little bit more muted. It'll be muting the bottom head because of how many strands are on the bottom, and it will cause less of a need to gel it all up. And mm. I just thought, okay, who is this drum going to? This drum is going to a lot of people that this is their first professional snare drum. It's their first drum they bought away from their kit. I want this thing to come out of the box and be playable, not swap heads, grab gels, grab tape. Just mm-hmm. could you make it sound good within the first 15 minutes? And so that was the choice we made for that. Cool. And obviously you can always swap those out. Yeah. I um, know it's pretty standard for Gretsch snares to have the wide strainer. Um, it's just on their metal drums, so they don't do it on their wood drums. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you get a USA Custom generally it's a metal drum because a usa custom wood drum you'd have to custom order the color and everything so generally uh, you're getting their metal drums and that that's what comes with the wider snares and so that's why we threw those on there and uh yeah it's been so far sales wise the reaction has been insane um uh, and um yeah which is is good now it's the next part which is okay where is this drum six months from now in your in your lineup. Uh, I can tell you this, you'll hear this in the promo thing, but Scott, do you know Scott Donnell? Mm-hmm. Head of marketing for DW and Gretsch and everything. So he just at, he's the one interviewing Mark, Victor, and myself. And he asked, um, how did you know the prototyping was done? Which I mm. thought was a great question, and I hadn't asked myself that question yet because you can just keep going forever and ever. And I just told him, honestly, it was when the snare stayed on my kit. I mean, you've seen my snare wall. Like, I have some of the greatest snares ever made. And when I stopped swapping snares every day and just left it on my kit, but not trying to, it just it just kind of was, that's when I was like, I guess we're here because I have access to a lot of really nice snares, and I choose this one. And then I started taking it with me to clinics, but not because I was trying to show off a prototype, just because I was like, man, I dig this thing. So anyway, so yeah, it's been it's nice. been a fun journey, and I hope it'll help a lot of people that are frustrated by snares because just like you and I have dealt with with microphones just because you spent a thousand dollars on a snare it doesn't mean it's easier no. to make it sound good it's sometimes <laughs> quite the opposite and exactly yeah and it's kind of I had the same experience with sticks it's like when I don't think about it anymore that's usually the right choice and but totally. at the same time you're thinking I'm not thinking about it so it must not be giving me enough cool factor or something like I'm right, missing yeah, yeah. something right yeah yeah so yeah congratulations i will we'll definitely be reviewing it in detail um yeah i mean i i've again i've got dozens of snares in my studio and for the past week it's been on my kit so that's a good thing cool man yeah i think i mean you and i talked a little bit off air just about it's a it's weird to review a snare that set out from the beginning to be generic Mm mm-hmm because everybody's promoting so much stuff like, well, what are the features? And it's like, oh, the features are it sounds like a drum. <laughs> right. And that's a weird thing. And when I've pitched it, <laughs> uh, you know, I pitched it to Sweetwater while I was down at that L.A. thing. It, it's it's a weird thing to to not be like, no, this is a breakthrough in technology. No one's – it's like, oh, no, that thing right there, that's from 1932. We threw that on there. Those lugs are from the 40s, from the Gladstone. It's like, no, it sounds like a damn drum. Oh, yeah. But that's the point is things got a little out of hand for a lot of – skews so that's the point well i'm glad you i'm glad you're digging it and we'll see where it goes from there so how's the uh we we talked about the uh, latin last week's episode we talked about how this is a new era for the modern drummer readers poll yeah it's a new old era i think i need to remind everyone that um 
the idea of not having nominees was is not new. <laughs> we, oh, okay. So it, that's how it used to be? Yeah. So, yeah, there's been a few people I've seen post online, some friends, and like, I don't know why Modern Drummer did this, what, why they're changing it. And in reality, we're going back to the way the Reader's Poll always was, which was completely empty. Readers write in who they want to vote for. Why do we do that? We figured, let's give everyone a chance to prove us wrong, that we don't need... We don't need to give you nominees. So it's open until Christmas Eve, I believe. So if you're listening to this on the 20th, make sure you vote. Um, go, just go to bondrummer.com. There's a link right there. You don't have to vote for every category, but you know, there's opportunity to vote for every category. The only thing we give you nominees for is the Hall of Fame because we figure that's something that we should, we should give you selections for. Yeah. Everything else is wide open. Um, so, yeah, make sure you vote. Um, and I do. We do kind of want the feedback. Like, did this was this a good idea to go back to the original concept, or do we need to think sure. next year that we need the spoon feed again? I like to think that drummers are smart enough to have their own opinions, and hopefully not gross enough to vote for the same drummer in every category. We right. shall see. But yeah, you've got a f- another week, so make sure you get into the readers' poll to twenty twenty is the the actual name of it because we announced the readers and the winners in the April May issue something like that the one thing I really like about the new format is that I feel like whoever the top three or four are in every category there will be at least two people that I haven't heard of that the readers are now pointing out to me so I can research like oh yeah that's crazy out of all the drummers in the world that guy or that girl is second in rock and I've never heard of them, let me check them out. Because that's what Modern Drummer has always been for me is, hey, I don't have time to be Modern Drummer Magazine. I don't have time to do research on everybody. Can you just point me in the right direction? Yeah, so exactly. I think that'll be cool. Um, Mom, if you could throw me a vote for educator slash clinician, I'd really appreciate that. I just need one. Just one vote. I'm good. Uh, I don't know what category I fall in. Oh my God. You... I don't know, man. You'd, do you have a category for all around? <laughs> we do, but that's a Vinnie Calyuta category forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about... Uh, um, no, let's move on. So, <laughs> No, you're the GSD. Just put out the GSD category. Get stuff done. Get, you just get mule, stuff done. That's mule. what you do. Yeah. All right. So, um, All right. So real quick. What do yeah. we got to talk about? Oh, last week you teased about giving some discount codes on tea, and I need I'm I'm finishing up a garbage cup of coffee right now. So hook me up. What what do I yeah, got to do here? What's the deal? Okay, <laughs> the deal is pretty simple. So uh, the company is called Aya. It's A I Y A, um, and you can think of Aya as like the Keller shells of the tea industry. They are the ones responsible for about eighty percent of the matcha and a lot of the green tea coming out of Japan. And they, you can, you, if you were a company that wanted to start like a tea house, you could contact them and buy stuff in bulk from them if you wanted to, and Mm. then brand it your own. Okay. So, um, now obviously just like Keller shells, they have different grades. So anything you're buying from their website, that's the highest grade where if I went there and said, Hey, I can't afford any of this stuff for my tea shop. They could be like, okay, well, these leaves have been around here for a while. So <laughs> the old um, sack. <laughs> yeah, totally. Bobby, give me that old sack. Um, <laughs> anyways, so uh, so yeah, so the company's called Aya, and 
it's it's just something where I've been I would say I've been drinking tea primarily as my main drink of choice for about 20 years. I started at 26. 26 I remember specifically moving away from Gatorade and Powerade and everything that was just really just a non-bubbly What was soda. your gateway tea? Uh well, it was literally just green tea and like I went straight into bags. it. Yeah, just tea bags uh just from you know, my shopping store, my mm-hmm. local grocery store. And uh, I just, I did some reading and I, I learned enough about the tea leaf to know that the green tea was where the health benefits were maximized and the caffeine content was medium. So black mm. tea, that's where the health benefits are pretty much gone, but the caffeine is maximized. White tea is the youngest of the tea leaf when it's picked, and that has really good health benefits, not a lot of caffeine, so it's really mild tea. And green tea was just kind of the pinnacle. Okay. So, and I was teaching, that was when I was teaching like 85 students a week at Skips Mm. Music. I needed something to get through the days. I could tell right away the energy drinks were not the way to go. I was, I I tried the, I I mean, that was at the peak of Monster and Rockstar. Remember those? I'm sure they're still around, but anyways. I've never had a Monster drink, ever. Okay, well, I did. Uh, and this is like my mid-20s, and I'm a guy that's never had coffee in my life, so I gave it a go, and I could I could just tell, like, oh, day one, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. You just keep going. Night one, I couldn't sleep. By day seven, I was I was in this weird, perpetual, just zombie mode. So I was like, this this can't be right. You know, Red Bull had just come on the market. Yeah, and Red so anyways... Bull, yeah, it didn't give me wings. Uh, so, so, anyways, um, so Mike will not be getting an endorsement via Rumble. Yes. <laughs> Good God, I just pissed off like nine possible endorsements. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I made the move to tea, and then so I don't feel like I'm a great judge of matcha because I've only been drinking matcha for about a year. Mm. But I feel like with green tea, I literally have about 20 years experience of drinking everything I could find, talking to tea shamans, talking, reading tea sommelier books like sommelier. I mean, yeah, I really, (laughs) if I'm going to go in, let's go in. Um, I just need to know how to pronounce the word sommelier because I don't drink wine. (laughs) So anyways, um, but yeah, so I went through all that stuff and Aya was the first company that I found that was doing everything responsibly, was growing everything organically in mm. Japan, was putting out monthly radiation reports because they admit it's like you don't have to hide it under the rug. It happened. And yeah. I'm about to ingest this into my body. Tell me about it. So they're doing everything the right way, the responsible way. And I feel like they're the only company I could find. I was able to find companies that just crushed matcha. And then their loose leaf tea was like, eh. And then I was able to find the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, your loose leaf tea is amazing, but your matcha is kind of low grade. I was like the top of everything. So, anyways, uh, if you want to go, if you want to get into green tea for the Christmas season, uh, check out aya-america.com. So it's a i y a-america.com. And if you buy the stuff on their website and use the code Mike's Lessons fifteen, you get fifteen percent off. Now, this is real legit stuff. So. Don't freak out when a little box of tea bags is ten dollars. I know you could get it for three. You don't want it for three. I promise you, this is the real stuff. So my favorite, just for a quick recommendation, if anybody's going to get into it, there's um, one called uh, Sencha Matcha Infused Sencha. So it comes in the silk pyramid bags. You and I have talked about mm-hmm. pyramid bags are the way to let the leaves expand. But there's matcha in those bags as well. So it's like 
it's a little dusting of matcha into the leaves and it really changes it quite a bit. And uh, the health benefits go through the roof when you're actually ingesting the actual leaf. So you don't have to start with matcha. And to be honest, I don't drink matcha the way it's supposed to be done. Like I don't make it just in water. I do Mm. about three ounces of water, whisk it all together, and then I steam some almond milk and pour that in. And that's what I drink. So Mm. it's like a matcha latte. But it's unsweetened vanilla almond milk. So it's still pretty healthy. So anyways, Aya hyphen or dash America, A-I-Y-A hyphen America.com and just use the promo code Mike's Lessons 15 and then you get 15% off. And if you're getting a matcha bowl, a matcha whisk, a sifter and $25 matcha powder, that 15% off will come in handy. I actually talked to a drummer yesterday for about 30 minutes on the phone that hit me up on Instagram. He's like, can you, I'm, I'm literally trying to get off of coffee and get into tea can you help me? And I was like, not via text. You want to talk? And we talked for a half an hour about it. So <laughs> if you need help, hit me up. All right. We've got about a thousand questions to get into. I was into. just looking at like, we are 23 minutes in. I'm done. We have talked right. about nothing but tea. You are answering the first seven <laughs> questions. Let's get started. All right. Our first question here is from Scott. Um, how often do you lube up your tension rods? It's all you, Mike. <laughs> every time I change, <laughs> every time I change the battery head, which it might be really every three months, it might be f- some drums. I've never changed the battery head. So, okay, now what do you use? Um, I got the travel size petroleum jelly, so it's just okay. I just dip each ride into that and get a little bit on each one, and done. No big deal. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Every single time I change the head, but I don't change heads often. So it could, like I said, it could be three months, six months. It could be 20 years. But I think it's, it's definitely worth doing because you'll, you know, we were talking about before, but that grinding feel of metal on metal, it just, you know, just makes that a little less, especially on old drums, like old Acrolytes and stuff. They can get cross thread. So I'm not super particular about it, but it's always there. So I just always do it. Boom. Done. I love it. All right. That's maybe our first usage of the word lube on the podcast. (laughs) That's why I was like, Uh, do it. And then, yeah. Yep. Here we go. All right. This one is from John D. Why is my Audix D4 humming and my Audix D6 not? I'm using the same mic cable, same channel, same settings. I want to use the D4 for what I'm doing, but it's humming. doesn't matter what channel or cord I use. The D6 is cleaner with no humming. Um, is the microphone bad? Or do microphones go bad? Yes, they do go bad. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have a microphone that has been shorted out, sadly. Uh, how much is a D4? Do you know? I mean, is that at, like affordable like the D6? Yes. Let me like look in it that up $200 right range or let me 150 l- range? Audix D4, shopping... Yeah, hundred and seventy bucks. No, yeah, no. Um, if there's one on here for sixty bucks, so yeah, Boom. just get another one. Um, Wait, yeah. do you think the one on there for sixty bucks is the guy that whose <laughs> question we're answering? <laughs> He's like, I'm selling this thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it's it is rare to, to be sure, but there are times for sure. I just had that happen with uh, one of my lav mics. Yeah, just the mic is and dead. I, I just and um, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, okay. I'll let me look up how much these are because I'm not going to take it in. I'm not going to send it in, get it repaired, all that. Yeah, so, no. And and it happens. So caution, 
don't hot plug a microphone. So, you know, don't just randomly unplug your mic and then plug it back in with everything turned on, especially if you have uh, phantom power enabled on that channel. I've blown out a few mics just being ignorant by doing that. It's possible that that's what happened. I had a really nice... I would nice say that's probably what I did to my lav mic because it was all fine, And but I do... I actually have done that quite a few times, so... Yeah, yeah don't Good do tip. that. You're going to destroy your stuff. All right, next one. Thanks, um, <laughs> I mean, I have a blue hummingbird mic that's just dead, and it, it drives me nuts because I love it. Oh. i got to buy another one. Okay, this one is from Sean. What motivates you to keep practicing, especially the quote-unquote eat-your-vegetables kind of practice? Yeah. I, I know for a fact that vegetables are my fuel yeah. uh, in, in nutrition, in drumming. And it I, I got to say this, Sean, it's actually that is the easiest thing for me to practice because I can fall back on it. I can fall back on singles between hand and foot any day of the week that I'm uninspired mm-hmm. because I just know that, man, I'm still chugging away at that thing. Uh, I've been doing so much pattern work lately. You know the... Old school exercise, I'm sure every drum teacher on the planet has taught this, where you just play singles, doubles, and paradiddles, no accents, mm-hmm. try to make them all sound the same. Yep. I've been doing that with about nine different patterns, mm. and that's kind of my go-to practice right now because, like you've mentioned so many times, there's a certain style of pad practice that will let you know, okay, I'm there. I'm in the zone. Mm-hmm. My head is clear. Yep. It was enough for my brain, enough for my body. So. I actually really enjoy that. I enjoy the vegetables because I can always fall back on them. The hardest thing for me is, okay, go get some dessert. What do you want? I'm like, God, I don't know. There's so many options. Can you just tell me what the dessert is and I'll tell you if I'm going to have it? And they're like, uh, lava cake. I'm like, nope. Berries. Cool. So, so yeah, so I, I think that it's just something where – Falling back on that stuff, I know that working on the fundamentals of drumming will show up in in a great way. Because uh, even when I sit down to be creative, the things that always work out for me are the solid things that I have down fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially if, if there's any pressure involved. If you don't work on your fundamentals, you'll never get to that point when you're practicing as fun. I think I agree. You always be frustrated. Go. So my only input on that is I think of the eat your vegetables practice like going to the gym where it's it's a habit form so once you form the habit and you start to see the results then you get excited about continuing to grow but it's the the loathing of oh i gotta go to the gym i don't want to lift things up and put them down today but you just commit to it you do it every single day i know for me i feel unsettled if i don't practice every morning for at least 10 minutes of just simple pad work like you're saying that's like my the day can't start. I have to make my bed. And I have to get on the practice pad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of the same. That's what it's become. Is you know, at the end of the hallway, down from our bedroom, is where my drum set with the super pads is, and it's it's just walking down that hallway, sitting down. Mm-hmm. You know what the new thing I've started doing is, and this is, I, I wonder how you'll feel about this because uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I just tell Amber. Okay, I've got a problem. My problem is my home tempo. I can play anything in my home tempo, mm. but I play everything in my home tempo because I'm left alone to play drums by myself in yeah, a room. That's what you all like. the time. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I play any other tempo? You know, and everybody's like, "Oh, you gotta, you know, go to check your tempos." And I'm like, I don't. So, <laughs> so, 
So. And I have a band that I write the music for. So, <laughs> so uh, here we go, 97 BPM. Uh, so anyways, in halftime, in double time. So anyways, so uh, the new thing I do is I sit down and in where my drum set is, is where Amber's main computer is, where she does all the work for Mike'sLessons.com. So we're always in there at like 5.30 in the morning. And uh, I just say, all right, babe clap for me and she will clap and then i just while she's working i play like a six minute solo in whatever tempo she clapped me in at and that's it because hmm. she she doesn't care she's just in her head she's got katie perry going and she's yeah. like okay <laughs> and then it, like literally this morning she went and i was like please tell me those are eighth notes <laughs> and i just thought i i really don't think i could create a solo and I'm like, man, that's like drum and bass tempo. And I, you know, and it's so she's causing me to get out of my comfort zone yeah. because I won't do it on my own. Uh, so you, you got to do, you got to dig deep. When you've been playing drums your whole life, you dig deep for anything to cause you to practice the, the stuff you don't. I would say that that is my vegetables. Mm. I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. You Doing fundamentals, that's my dessert. <laughs> There's no thought. Do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Next question is from, this is from Zach. I'm on a budget and trying to put together a home studio, and I was curious what you guys think would make the most impact for recordings. The room is about 15 by 20, and with mostly 90 degrees corner, 90 degree corners, and it has carpet. I have bass traps and acoustic foam panels coming. Um, I started with cheap mics and recently upgraded to an SM58 for the snare and a Rode M5, a pair of Rode M5 for overheads. Any tips are appreciated. Um, should I take this one? Yeah, go for it, buddy. That's a pretty small room, so you want to make that room as dead as possible. Um, that would be my – and you didn't mention how high your ceilings are, so that's prob- they're probably pretty low ceilings. So in general, just make it about as dead as you can, um, especially treat the ceiling above your cymbals because that's where you're going to get a lot of flutter echoes. It's going to make your recording sound really weird. Yeah. Um, any parallel walls that are facing each other, make sure at least one side of it has some sort of absorption on it. Um, and that's kind of it. You want to eliminate the rooms. You want to keep the mics low to the drums. You want to have as little you know, reflections as possible. Uh, SM58 on the snare might actually not okay. be your best choice. That was my question. Was Is a 58 and a 57? I mean, 50, 58 is like the industry standard for live vocal mic. Yeah, it's the round. 50, the round yeah, 57 yeah. is the snare mic. I was just wondering, are they the same capsule, or why is he using that I on the snare? I think it's the same electronics, but there's something about that round globe that makes it not perfect for drums. It'll be fine. Um, ultimately, I think a 57 would be a better choice. But with those two mics, those three mics, you don't have a bass drum mic. So I would, here's what I would do. I would go two overheads and a kick. Yeah, use that 58 in in front of the bass drum. That's what I would do. That's, that would probably be a better result than putting that 58 on the snare. So put the 58 on the bass drum just in front of the front head, maybe four and a half inches away from the, the head. And then your overheads, keep them pretty low. Uh, yeah. Research the recorder man technique mm-hmm. and deaden up the room as much as possible. And definitely I would recommend try, unless you absolutely need a stereo mix, try one overhead directly pretty much over your pedal area and then use that second overhead as a room mic somewhere yeah. um, in different techniques. Or just like you said, the recorder man technique. Try some different things. With three mics, I think you could do a lot. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good suggestion. You could do a mono overhead base, put the 58 on the base drum, and then take that other condenser and just put it in a corner somewhere and just yep. see what it does. Yeah. Um, okay, next one is from <laughs> Huge. Huge Beats. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got you. I think he got Huge you. Huge Beats I, is actually our intro and outro uh, uh contributor this week so what you heard those smooth sounds in the beginning that is huge beats with a z it's mr beats um <laughs> question i recently put new heads on my kit and i'm using a drum dial to match tension between lugs on a couple of drums i found that even though the tension is pretty tight there is a lug that um while it reads the same tension as the others is not even finger tight when i tighten it the tension exceeds what i'm trying to match what gives is my drum mm-hmm. not round uh what could be the cause and what would be the remedy yeah, my thought on that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that, you and I have talked about this before, that drum dial needs to be renamed the fine tune bot. Yeah. You know, or, or if you're using the tune bot or the drum dial, um, the fine tuning, because you have to get the drum really close on its own before you start using those things. What'll happen is exactly what you're going through. You've cranked the whole drum, and it doesn't even matter if you take a tension rod out. The two tension rods next to it are so tight that the head is still tight in that area. Yeah. Um, Especially if you have something like diecast, where you could take out two tension rods and the thing stays intact. Yeah, um, yeah, that can be really, really frustrating. I mean, I, I, I don't do it with the drum dial; I do it with the tune bot. But there are times where I'm like, man, I, I can feel in the tension. This one is way looser than those two, and it's reading the same. And it's just because I just I don't have the head. I didn't I didn't initially tune it evenly. Like it was yeah. kind of like I just cranked in a circle. And then it's pulling tension on everything. Yeah, you could troubleshoot your drum by because it could be a couple of things. I think the hoop could be out of could be bent. Therefore, definitely one part of the hoop is like lowering further than the other side. Yep. The drum head itself could be not quite perfectly flat. Um, or the, seating on the drum. Or seating, or the lug itself could be not quite aligned. So you have to kind of like troubleshoot. The first thing I would do is start over, rotate the drum head. 45 degrees, 90 degrees, see if it's the exact same spot on the drum head or if it's the same spot on the drum itself. And just be careful around that one lug that's giving you an issue. It's going to be the two lugs beside it that are actually causing the problem and the lug right. exactly opposite. So just be careful tensioning those three lugs and make sure the trouble one gets the majority of the tension first. But yeah, it, there's so many factors. I'm going to say it's probably the hoop, believe it or not. I would agree. It, in, unless it's, yeah. I mean, and, and the great thing about that is it, as long as you can find a truly flat surface, just put the hoop on, you know, as long as you can find a flat surface, put the hoop on a flat surface and you'll know right away. Even if it's rocking a little bit, you'll know right away. And definitely don't do what Mike said. Don't rotate the head. The logo goes where the badge is. <laughs> that is all there is to talk about with that. Do not rotate okay, the head. So let's say rotate the hoop. So we got to, you got to assess Thank what's you. wrong. Keep the head where it, just move one thing. Either I don't even care what's wrong. I don't even care if my Tom sounds like crap. The logo goes where the badge hey, by goes. By the way, DW snare drum basket. You cannot get it to where the <laughs> center point is aimed at you. Yes, you can. You cannot oh do it. Oh my god. It's impossible. Uh, it's cuz you're 6 foot 9. 
All right. I can. Next question. Once again, we want to thank our sponsor, Simmons. Simmons Drums just put out a new drum kit that has all mesh pads as a custom sound library with some vintage and world percussion as a nice, large, easy-to-read screen. Um, it has Bluetooth and USB connectivity. There's an iOS app that you can get uh, for free that allows you to customize your kits. There's also some sampling capabilities. This kit is called the SD1200. That's by Simmons Drums. You can get it now at Guitar Center, in the store, or online at musiciansfriend.com. And if you want to get some more specs and details about this kit, visit simmonsdrums.net. They have a page dedicated there. So this is a nice option if you're looking to get an affordable electronic kit for your studio, your teaching studio, at home for practice, uh, for students. Anyway, it's the SD1200 Electronic Drum Kit by Simmons. Let's get back to it. This one's from Michael. I'm looking to get a set of new set of in-ears and decided to go with ultimate ears, which I know you both use. I'm not sure which pair to get. Um, I want to stay under a thousand bucks, but I'm looking for the best bang for the buck and I'll be using them primarily for drumming on local gigs. So they have the five pro, which is 500 bucks, six pro, 700 bucks, 11 pro, 900 bucks. And then there's the super duper UE live, which is 1700 bucks. I use the 11 Pros more than I use the 6s. I hear that $200 difference being exponentially better quality clarity, in my opinion. But the 6s are great. And you use I, the 6s. I'm the exact opposite. So, I, And that's great that he's using these as the examples because we both have the 11s and the 6s. Yeah. Um, so the 11s, if, if, I was, if anyone needed me to care about the sound and mix it, <laughs> right. 11s. They're way more honest. 6s are like Beats headphones. They're just fun. So yeah. I use the 6s because they're enjoyable for me. They're, they're totally scooped. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like a, you know, but I don't want to mix on them. So if he's doing primarily live gigs, I think he'd – it really depends on what you're trying to do. If you want to hear yourself, go with the 6s. If you want to hear the band more than yourself, the 11s are f- flatter and just – and they still have killer bass response. So it's not like they're boring to listen to. But you would probably hear the vocals and anything mid-range come through a little bit better on the 11s. Yeah, um, exactly. 11s are just more honest. Yeah, it's more clear, more clarity, which is yeah. – I'm looking for that clarity of attack. So I can make sure everything yeah. is, is lining up properly. Whereas the six is everything just kind of melts together in a kind of nice, warm way. But if I'm trying yeah. to lock in with a click track, sometimes that's not perfect. No, that makes sense, yeah. Okay, great. Good luck. Get them. Let us know what you think. Get them both, <laughs> for God's sakes. Okay. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Use promo code Mike's Lessons 15 <laughs> to get 0% off. All right, this, I don't know how to pronounce this name. T-H-I-J-S. Tiago. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I literally, ju- you got to TIA and I just finished the rest of my head. I literally just I'm invented like, the rest. T H I J S. I think I got to the T H I and I was like, Tiago, which wouldn't even have an H. Anyways, T H I. Okay. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I don't, I'm not even going to try. Thidge? Thidge? C. <laughs> So you're not going to try it, and then you gave it two goes. That's very Dawson of you. I'm not going to try it, but here we go. That's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for myself. Okay, during band practice, I'm asked to play with rods as a solution to keep the volume down. I'm looking for a better solution, like muffling the drums and cymbals. Do you have any tips? I have to add the acoustics in the room are pretty bad, so it's, I guess, a bunch of reverb. And we're playing with a full horn section. Um, So what can you do? Yeah, I mean, I think you and I have had the same 
answer for this question many times, which is it starts with you. The drum set makes no noise until you get on it. Mm-hmm. So it starts with you. I, I am totally of the mindset that even though throwing in seven A's or whatever a lighter stick is, isn't going to necessarily make it a, a lot quieter. It does make you think quieter. Mm-hmm. You're playing with lighter sticks. You feel like you can be more dynamic with them. So there's a little placebo factor there, but it really, really starts with you. If you feel like you want the tone of sticks on cymbals and sticks on heads, besides muffling the drums, which you could do, I mean, that'll help a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I would throw some tea towels or, you know, do whatever you yeah. need to do. Chamois inside your hi-hats. I mean, all kinds of stuff to control it. I think it's just that mentality that you and I probably both had in our middle years of, hey, you asked me to be here. This is how I do. And it's <laughs> right. like, okay, can you do a little quieter? <laughs> and so, and then at some point it was like, wait, why don't I just do what's best for the room and the situation? And I'm happy to do it. And if I'm a true drummer or an artist, I should be able to be me at any dynamic level. So it does start with you, but I, I agree with Mike. Some tea towels would be a great idea too. What else would I suggest? You probably need to tune the drums maybe a lot higher than you think. Mm-hmm. Get rid of all the boom because once you get it yep. above that mid tuning, you kind of choke out all that low end stuff to get out of control. Try that. Yeah. Tea towels, root EQ muffles, um, tape up the cymbals a little bit um yeah like i said throw a chamois inside the hi-hats that's an old reggae trick um and then yeah don't use rods yeah oh oh boy (laughs) i want to get into that one with you again um and i i I think a a lot of people would unless they've seen it maybe in some of my videos but would probably be surprised to know that my my main crash on my right it's a 20 inch extra dry thin crash and uh or extra hammered thin crash and i've got two pieces of gaff tape on it Mm -hmm. it's like i i don't feel that that's like oh man it should be able to do it without it it's like dude it's it's not the symbol's fault the symbol does what the symbol does it's the room's fault yeah and if it's just ringing too long tape it up don't be afraid yeah use it okay this one is um jacob from the czech republic just so that's jacob j-a-k-u-b love that spelling so the question is in my history i practiced a lot of drum exercise books licks and mostly drum oriented stuff i'd like to concentrate more on music than just the drums i heard that in the past drummers practiced only to their favorite records what is your approach to practicing music and playing to music um that's a simple answer for me yeah pick your favorite records and play along to them and don't jam to them try to become the drummer that makes that record your favorite drummer it's a totally different approach than like putting on something and just doing what you do over top of it if you're going to play along the steely dan record because you want to sound like rick Murata, take the time to tune your drums to sound like rick Murata. make sure you're you're playing the parts exactly like rick Murata. Make sure your timing is as close to his, because that's where you're going to learn all that stuff, all that feel and touch. If you're just jamming over it and using your super cranked snare drum when the track is super dead and gushy and you're playing a ton of ghost notes and Murata never plays ghost notes, I mean, you're not, you're not practicing. That's jamming in my, in my mind. Right. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would add to that is, one, yes, I fully agree, do that. Uh, and I still think when I look back at my own DNA drumming wise, I can hear the things in my drumming that were directly influenced by doing that. Like, Oh, I'll never be able to play that without that faith. No more influence. Cause I was obsessed with trying to get Mike Borden sound at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the only other thing I would add is you guys, we all have the 
luxury of technology with Pandora, Apple Music, Spotify. Just at least once a day, throw on something that you've never heard, an artist that maybe you know the name of, but you're not familiar with their music, and try to make it work. Use your ear. Try to see how quickly you can figure out the kick drum pattern, how quickly you can figure out the snare pattern, the hi-hat pattern. And try don't once again, like Mike said, don't jam over the top of it. I, I always tell my students, pretend that you're auditioning for this artist right now. And if somebody told me right now, go to Spotify and click on Waylon Jennings playlist. <laughs> I have no shot of like, oh, I know this one. No, I don't. Uh, so but it's like, OK, let's assume I'm auditioning for this. How am I going to make this work? So if you can combine those two things, like the obsessive nature of of really diving into your favorite stuff, like Mike said, and then being able to on the fly, be able to pick up rhythm, groove and parts as quick as possible. I think you'll be just fine. Sweet. All right. This one's from Wolf. Given that there are relatively few singing drummers, how important do you think it is for drummers to know the lyrics to the songs? And can you talk about any non-singing drummers who learn the words and how they apply that to their playing? Um, Jim Keltner is legendary for every session. He asks the artist, I need a lyric sheet. So if you want to sound like Jim Keltner, learn the lyrics because his his playing, he doesn't play patterns. He plays with the lyrics. He plays with the melody. Um, So that's the benefit, I would say. Agreed. Um, on, as a side note, I had a bass player that I just started working with say, "Hey, asked me the other day, hey, do you do you sing?" And I'm like, "No, I wish I did." And he's like, "Yeah, you probably should because there's so many gigs for drummers who know how to sing." So, yeah. the other side note is learn how to sing because you'll get hired for a lot more work if you can. There you go. So I think he was subtly saying, "Hey, I've got a lot of work for you, but you don't have the skill to do what I need you to do." <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, I can't imagine that you'd be like, I do, and he'd be like, neat, and walk away. He would have been like, sweet, I've got six gigs for you. Uh, yeah, you're probably like, yeah, I've got this this corporate gig that pays about four grand if you want right. to hop on it. Do you know any drummers that can sing? All right. No reason. Uh, did you have any input? I just kind of stomped all over that one. But no, that, that was the input, yeah. Okay. I totally agree with you. Okay. Um, Okay, this is from man. We got a lot of odd names. Phil, F I L. Dig it. <laughs> oh, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> Phil's not that odd. The spelling, got F-I-L. it. F I L. There's much written about how sh- uh, the shell makeup can affect the sound properties of the drum, the types of wood, and how many plies, and the thickness. But one subject that I've not come across yet is: Does the thickness of a reinforcement ring have any effect on the sound properties of a drum? Not the depth of the ring, but the actual thickness. Most great, modern great rings question. are six ply, eight ply, or ten ply, and then some vintage rings were a one piece steam bent. And there's also some companies now who are actually carving what you would yep. be a reinforcement ring into the actual shell itself. Even in, uh, it's funny, even uh, the Gretsch solid aluminum, they, I was like, you carved reinforcement rings? It's, <laughs> it's, you CNC'd out reinforcement rings? <laughs> like, what are you reinforcing? It's a solid aluminum shell. So, um, so yeah, so uh, first of all, what were those rings for? I'm assuming they were to keep the drum round back in the day. Back in the day, but uh, I've you know talked to a few of my builder buddies, and and they've sent me drums without rings, and then they send me the exact same drum with rings. There is definitely a sonic benefit to them, especially when you're talking about thinner shells. I found it um, a benefit to them. A benefit to. So them. you think the drums sound better with them because a thin, super precise 
shell with no re-rings to me is too open. It's too okay. It's too out of control. It doesn't. Yeah. It, I need some focus. I need a little bit more, um, you know, punch. So the the ring just kind of reins it in a bit, makes it a little bit more controllable, a little bit more focused. It's not like night and day where you'd be like, oh, that drum sure. sucks, and now it doesn't suck. It's just there's a something to it. I feel like it. Not every drum needs to be super open. Sometimes you want to rein it in, and that that ring, oh, in absolutely. my experience, just <clears throat> focuses enough. As far as nice. the thickness of the, of the ring, I have no idea. I would have to default to some of our expert builders. Maybe I'll forward this over to a couple of them. But I've never paid attention to it. I just know that I like drums that have them, unless it's a thick shell, like a thick recording custom right. or something like that. That's all I got for Boom. that one. There you go. I'll forward that over to someone to see if we can get more input. Okay, next one. How are we doing on time? We're good. This is from uh, – this is a long one. All right, let's try to do this quickly. This is from Richard. I enjoyed your dream team lineups, but as an older guy, um, I was wondering if you might try a similar project using drummers from the 60s. So let's do it quickly. Let's do three on three. Three on three from the 60s. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, dude, I didn't even classic, know there were drummers classic playing rock, in the 60s. All that jazz. classic hippie stuff. <laughs> Um, good God. Well, I, I mean, honestly, most of my drummers that I would u- choose from the 60s were drummers that just happened to play in the 60s, but they were also playing in the 50s and the 70s and the 80s. Okay. Know? Um, well, pick one. I can't think. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I'm starting my team with Tony Williams. All right. All right. So we can't pick the same, right? So you've got Tony. Correct. I'm going to start with John Bonham. <sighs> Jerk. Um... All right, I'm going to balance Tony out with a little bit of Ringo Starr. All right, Ringo. My number two. (sighs) Mitch Mitchell. Okay, and I'm going to clobber your entire little team with Billy Cobham. Was he? Yeah, I guess he was working in the late sixties. That might be yeah. a near flag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I, I would say he you. definitely he he came into his own definitely in the seventies. Uh, I'll give you that. I think he was on okay. Vitch's Brew or one of those in the in the late sixties. So I'll give you sure. that. Um, okay. Okay, and then I've got to pick Elvin. So I've got Elvin Jones, John Bonham, and Mitch Mitchell. If nothing else, that is a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, one of you's not walking out of there. I'll tell you that right now. I've I, got I've got Tony, Billy, and Ringo. That's a fight. I don't think your team's gonna get along. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Although like it's Tony gonna be the, loved Ringo, but uh, I think we're gonna have a lot of silent car rides <laughs> to the to the clinic. And like no, like every time I put in another eight track, they're like no. I'm like, all right, fine. And we're gonna show up in like a limo. Everyone's hanging out the top window. Like, here we yeah. go. <laughs> and we're like, okay, at least we can take them. They're hammered. We're gonna be fine. Well, either way, it's gonna be fun. All right, next question. Okay, um, this is from Caroline. I'm getting back together for a series of gigs. Kara, is this from Carol? No, this is Matt. He sent it from, I guess, someone else's email account. This is Matthew. I'm getting the band back together for a series of gigs, and we are called the, <laughs> which we're calling the End of Relevance Tour, um, nice. where we are celebrating our inevitable decline as humans. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> you may. Uh, so they're getting close to 50 years old. And anyway, practice has been great. Rehearsals have been awesome. But I haven't played in a bar or club in 25 years. Any advice or refreshers on maintaining as much continuity from the practice rehearsal space to the gig would be much appreciated. Ooh. Isn't that like such a reality? Yeah. We nailed it last night in the practice room. What is going the on? Nerves. The oh my sound gosh. is different. Yeah. Everything is different. Um, it might be my most frustrating. There's there's a couple of players I, I love the way they play, except on the gig. <laughs> okay, like, ah, I could totally relate with that. Like for in sure. the studio, they're amazing. If you give them a chance to just kind of spend time developing their parts get them to the gig and it's like they just they've never played the instrument before and that's it's so funny sucks. i have the exact same feeling about personality which mm. is i don't understand man you're so personal when we're rehearsing why do you clam up and freeze up i'm stuck on the kit i can't be me <laughs> I, i'm just stuck back in the back but i need you to handle the next 45 minutes <laughs> Oh, that's true. Yeah, man. I'm, this is a yeah. Beatles song. Go, 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 go. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Performance anxiety is a real deal. So let's get to actually giving them some advice and not no. Pooing. Let's all the flush out. Let's with. flush out our problems. <laughs> okay. So, so first of all, I think that the mental prep is massive. If you can mentally prepare for a gig, it, it'll help. So, you know, being able to think about. What's going to go wrong and be okay with it? Your monitors are going to be horrible no matter what. Uh, there's going to be a really hot light right on the back of your neck for some weird reason <laughs> that they just won't turn off. Yeah, you're there's go- a lot. Of- you're going to forget an intro to a song at some point. You can be like, Absolutely. How does this one go? It's and it point. won't be until you've dropped your first stick that you realize, why don't I just get a stick holder? They make stick holders. I should just have a stick holder. <laughs> While you're fumbling around on the ground. So I, I think getting those problems out of your way mentally before they happen is really important. And then really, also I think probably something both Mike and I can identify with is whatever you th- think the tempo is in the moment, unless you're using a click, it's not that fast. Mm-hmm. Like your adrenaline is going to be pumping. Yeah, and by the way, um, I was invited to the show, Matt. Your brother invited me, Mark. So I couldn't make it, and I heard that it, that first show went awesome. So whatever you guys oh, did, that's really cool. it worked well. Mark, his brother, Mark is the producer that I did a, track, did a bunch of recordings for. So I know oh, they're awesome. not messing around. So I, I believe there's going to be more shows. Hopefully I'll be there for one of the next ones. But apparently whatever you guys did, just keep doing it because it went well for that first one. There you go. All right, let's see. We've got a couple more. Let's blow through them. Let's give them no thought whatsoever. Done. (laughs) Okay, this one's from Carl. Um, Are there, so I know that we use practice pads because they're quiet, convenient, and portable, but are there other reasons from a technical standpoint to use pads versus playing on an actual acoustic snare drum? No. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my God, did that really just happen? Oh, that was epic. (laughs) <laughs> no the answer is no the answer is of course there is of course there is all right next question next question <laughs> next one is from <laughs> my god this is the end this is the end no. of the podcast you should be able to practice. Yes. you should be able to do everything you do on a pad on a snare drum there's no reason i agree you, with no that. one is a practice pad specialist except for jim chapin one 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 one. No, I, I no, absolutely not. 
There is no nope, benefit. There's no benefit. There's a huge benefit. Oh my god! Except for portability I, and quiet. Yeah, but the quiet allows you to hear <laughs> what you're actually doing. Put your plugs in. <laughs> that I can't. All right, we're moving on because this is so close to the demise of the podcast. Coffee versus tea. I'm fine with. Whatever you feel about my snare drum, I can live with. This is insane. This is absolute insanity. Next question. Oh, I can't wait to trash that drum. Okay, this one's from <laughs> Greg. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, goodness. Uh, wow. Okay, on a recent podcast, you both agreed that a major challenge is controlling the noise that comes off of a real drum set. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that playing on pads is easier. Um, part of this will be... Will be huh? part of this. Will be we can play at a comfortable medium volume on pads and with better technique than playing quietly on a real kit. That reinforces my argument that it's bad to only practice on play on practice. Whoa, pads. whoa, whoa! Now you're now you're throwing in words like only. I would never say that. <laughs> well, I, I am much. like the first person to like call you know <laughs> e kits electronic percussive devices because of how bad i think they can be for you so i don't uh, even know what no, the I, questions is um I, we'll, we'll dig into that but i wonder if okay. um what is the question what do you think of wearing <laughs> earplugs live as a way to minimize the distraction of the kit sound even when the overall gig volume is low Okay, Ooh, so this goes question. back. We had that conversation about just the overwhelm of the sound of the instrument can can handcuff us as players to express ourselves. Yes. And I totally get agree with that. And I almost always use really good quality earplugs, like the vibes that we that have been sponsored in the episode or erasers. Almost every gig, very rarely do I not at least have them at my disposal. That I can just put one in or both of them in. Right. Um, yeah. So what, I'm with you. Just taking out some of that hard, harshness is is super important. Yeah, but you also have to just get used to what a drum set sounds like. That goes back to the original point of we smash practice pads so hard, and our technique gets so like yep. in this like extreme volume level. Then we get to a gig, and it's like, oh my god, I can't play any. I can't even play my ghost notes at the level that I was playing them on a pad. Right. Yeah, and I think that you know to actually use this to tie back to the pad thing one thing that i think has actually gone a little too far one way is everyone is searching for the softest most challenging pad on the planet and i think that's kind of the opposite way to go sometimes you need that a little bit more firm pad that has the articulation so you can really Mm -hmm. hear like the notes that you're playing and bring that volume down and feel it in your hands or what it's like to bring it down if you just let any student go go to town on paradiddles on a practice pad and while they're not looking just swap out that pad for a snare drum it, they would literally poo their pants they'd mm-hmm. be so scared of how loud it was like what it's like yeah you've been doing that the whole time why are you rim shotting a pad <laughs> like they just go in so hard because it's not making noise so they play the pad as loud as they can to get it up to a drum's volume so all the way back to this question i think it's super important on quiet gigs to know the room know what you're playing and know what you're giving off. But from there, if you have a little bit more comfort because you put in, like Mike said, we're not talking about construction level 30 decibel earplugs, 30 decibel reduction earplugs. We're talking about high quality. The sound, the frequencies are all there. It's just taking it down. You know, what, what are your, um, what are your main earplugs that you were talking about? What, what do they take out? 
the erasers, I think, only take out about 15 decibels, but it's all yeah. the mid-range stuff that actually is what really destroys your hearing. So it, it, yeah. it's you can actually, I can use them on super loud gigs, and I never get any after effects of ringing because it just, they get rid of That's just awesome. all the stuff that, you know, mid-range of electric guitars, mid-range of snare drum and cymbals. But they just sound natural. Now, I had to get used to the feeling of my ears being closed at a gig. So if someone's talking to me and I had to talk back to them, I feel like that's weird sometimes. Right, sure. But in general. So, yeah, so what I always do is show up to the room, play the drums with no hearing protection. What is what is it doing? Mm-hmm. And then I know what's going to be my softest dynamic, what's going to be my loudest dynamic. And then I just put the plugs in and trust that I know where I need to play. Beautiful. I'm uh, with you. Okay. Yeah, we'll go back to the practice pad dispute later. <laughs> Dude, let's just let's just keep moving. I with this 220 shall not be the last episode. We, right. we said we'd stop on 225. Anthony, this one's from Anthony. I'm having a major problem with the triggers on my acoustic kit setting each other off. I have the newer Roland triggers on my Gretsch snare and bass drum. Then they're both setting each other off the toms, which do not have triggers, set off the snare and bass drum triggers. The triggers are connected to an Elisa Strike multi-pad. I played with the sensitivity and threshold settings. I can improve it, but never eliminate the problem. Any suggestions? Um, you're talking about crosstalk. That's not sensitivity or threshold. So you've got to adjust the crosstalk setting in the module. Hopefully they have that. It might be called X-talk or something like that. Um, yeah, because sensitivity is what's going to be, and threshold is what's the lowest dynamic that's going to set off the trigger, but it doesn't deal with how far apart the notes need to be before they re-trigger. Okay. That's the crosstalk. So like, you know, 10 milliseconds, it, you won't get a double hit if if you play within 10 milliseconds. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I use those triggers all the time. I have never had any issue with the triggers themselves causing any problems. So fix your crosstalk setting should do it. And dial up, dial up your threshold as high as you possibly can set it and still have all of your notes be triggered. You don't need ghost notes on the bass drum. You don't need... Right. A lot of times you don't need ghost notes on the snare drum if you're blending a live sound with the triggered sound. So set that threshold as high as you possibly can to still get the essential notes to come through. That should help you, hopefully. All right. Um, How about uh, one more and then an audio? Oh, right. Well, I've got... Let's see. All right. We're almost through. All right, let's do... um, All right. I know the OCD in you wants to have this cleared (laughs) off your plate before January 1st. Let's just knock it out. I'm with you. We've got another week. We can can get through the rest of these next week as as a normal segment. So the last last, uh, email question is from Zam. Man, this has been the questions of awesome names. Yeah. Zam. How do you find the tuning range of a snare drum, and is there an easy way to find a starting point where any snare would be at their sweet spot and then move from there? Um, I've heard that when drums are out of their tuning range, they are choked. I'm afraid I won't hear that. So do we go go hard on Zam, or do we go easy on Zam? Well, (laughs) I say we go easy. I mean, this is something you and I both would have dealt with at some point. We can't be like, Sam, you have have had 35 years of experience, right? And you have been reviewing drums for Modern Drummer for the last decade, right? You know what it is? We all went through this. It's when someone asks, is there an easy way? I'm immediately like, "Uh, no. No. No, Well, yeah, I agree with you on that. No, I mean, the way we all learned how to do this was by doing it. Yeah, Um, failing. But I think there's there's two things that happen. when, When you... Choke out a snare. First of all, you on most snares you got to go pretty high. 
It's higher yeah. than you think. You know, um, I mean, it depends on how you define choking out a snare. Maybe we should that's good point. define that. Like, what do you when, what do you hear when a drum gets choked? Uh, for me, it actually like I stop hearing the the notes are too sharp, and I actually stop hearing the snares do their job. Mm, okay, um, and it's just kind of turned into a timbali. But even then, I mean, that itself is a sound. So yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, I, I got to say, I don't really find anything high or low to be unusable for me i find the mid is the unusable one for me yeah there's a lot of funky stuff in that mid yeah it's really rare that i'm like oh it just won't tune high enough or i can't get it to go Mm. what i find is like oh wow i'm in a nice kind of medium spot here and there are a lot of overtones that i can't control Mm -hmm. and so yeah I, i think uh but but yeah just like you were saying sitting down and messing with your drum that takes, you know, a year per drum. Yeah. To find and, you out know, what it does. What head you're using changes it. Yep. So, okay, so now I'll actually not be a jerk. What I would suggest you do <laughs> is, I learned this from Kenny Arnoff, you know, turn the snares off. So the bottom head should be, you know, pretty much as high as it can go, you know, for all, you know, as, as a base point, tune it up pretty high. So you have a little bit of give on the bottom head, but not much. Top head, snares off, tune it evenly up until the drum doesn't sound like a tom anymore there's a there's a breaking point it's almost like a singer where they have chest voice and they have head voice your drum's going to go from chest voice to head voice so find that breaking point when the low end the chestiness starts to go away so now all you're hearing is just the higher tone more of the attack shorter decay that is going to be the highest tuning where that drum speaks the fullest that is where kenny arnoff tunes his snare drum just below the point when all the the low end is gone and you can kind of sweep around like tune up and down a quarter turn you'll hear it goes from like sounds like a high tom to like that doesn't sound like a tom at all anymore it sounds like a timbali and there's a breaking point every drum is a little bit different so that would be for me as high as i would tune a drum unless i want to go into that extreme high steve jordan kind of sound and then so that's your upper threshold and then you just start backing it down slowly and see where does it sound good where does it sound distorted where does it sound weird and wonky and then how low can you go before it just sounds like a paper bag and there's going to be every drum will have at least three spots where it just sings you just have to find them yeah yeah that experimentation is part of the fun i mean that's that's what we fall in love with all right, you want to go audio question? All right, let's finish this episode off with a question from Cole Paramore. Hey, Mike and Mike, this is Cole in the Seattle area. I was hoping you guys could talk about drum notation software for a minute. I have yet to find a transcription software that I really like for creating sheets of exercises for students, and a big part of it seems to be the ease of being able to arrange the measures on the page and add text. Uh, I use the GrooveScribe with students all the time, but unfortunately, you can't really arrange measures or add text like you might want to in displaying exercises. Uh, Mike Johnston, I know in the past you had a discontinued software that hopped from computer to computer that you were using. Um, Are you still using the same program, or have you moved on to something else? And Mike Dawson, uh, what is the standard used at Modern Drummer, and in your personal experience doing transcriptions for drum books? And also, if you know what software gets used to finalize drum books, that would be much appreciated as well. Thanks. Cole, what's up, buddy? Good to hear from you, man. Uh, yeah, so the GrooveScribe was definitely not meant to be a 
lesson planner, uh, but I actually do use it that way. Now, I have my own stuff built on the back end of mikeslessons.com that allows me to create pages for my students. But one thing you could do is, um, I don't know what it would be on a Mac, but on a PC, if you just use the snipping tool, you can literally just snip the measures out and put them into Photoshop. So what I would do, Photoshop or InDesign if you want to get fancy, but most people are more familiar with Photoshop than they are InDesign. But I just have a, even when I'm creating the Mike's Lessons um, drum camp books, I just have a template that has measure numbers and my header at the top and those types of things. And I just use the snipping tool uh, on the screen and you just drag it over the notation. And since the background of our notation on the GrooveScribe is white, you just... You're creating an image out of that. Put that into Photoshop, arrange it however I want with five or 10 or six or 12 measures, whatever, and then put the numbers over it. And then that's kind of it. And then I can write in all the text I want. And then I just print that Photoshop document or InDesign document uh, as a PDF. So that's one way to do it if I'm trying to make really good looking stuff and do it fast. The other cool thing about doing it that way is as you're doing it, you're creating those things in the GrooveScribe with URLs. So not only am I giving my student the page from the document I made, but I'm also then giving them, I might say, okay, here's the URLs for one through six. And that way they can, when they get back home, they can open those uh, links up and hear the groove, groove slow, fast, swing it, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, definitely not meant to be that type of a program, but you still can use it that way. All right, so we here at Modern Drummer do all of our music engraving with Finale. So if you want a software program that ultimately you could do entire symphony orchestra arrangements if you wanted to, Finale or Sibelius is the other industry standard. So it's almost like Pro Tools in a way, like or, or Logic. Like You might want to just invest the time to learn these programs because they're going to pay for themselves in the long run. Uh, Finale, I just opened one. They have a template that's called... It's an exercise or lesson template, and I just opened it. It's a two-measure template. It has a spot for, you know, you you can add the title to it. You can add um, questions. You could add text to it. It's got the music that takes up half the page. So it's kind of already set to be like your lesson planner. What you're going to have to do is modify this using the drum set staff instead of the grand staff. So what I would do is take this template change the staff so it's the drum set staff so you're going to get the proper notation and everything save that as, a, as my own template and then just open it fresh every time um, so finale is a pain in the butt i took two courses in college on how to use it but it's almost like learning how to type like i'm so glad i did it because it's paid for itself in the long run because uh, i can i can whip out the entire magazine's music notation in like half a day or a day just because I just spent time with this program. So Finale or Sibelius, there is no easy route, but you're going to have to learn them. That's my suggestion. Just do it. Boom. There you go. All right, everybody. Thank you guys for all of your questions, and we will be saving up. We have a couple more that we'll do next week, and then we've got some new stuff coming for you guys in 2020, the new mics. Oh, my God. I almost called it the Mike's Lessons Podcast. What a jerk. (laughs) The new Modern Drummer podcast with Mike and Mike make uh, drum talky talk. So, oh my uh, God. So to be on the lookout for the new Mike Johnson signature practice pad. and the- <laughs> <laughs> Don't 
damn. Oh my god, no, hell no, no, uh, that's not happening. Um, I, I think that there's nothing that you need a practice pad for. You should always be on a drum set. Drum sets rule. All right. Uh, okay. All right. So it's we time are, for we pick are, of the week. Are we, we are, doing picks of the week? No, we're not. We're getting what? out here. We're 222 episodes in. Yeah, let's do pick of the week. But this is literally okay. the first time that I think we actually have to debate something. Yeah. Usually I, it's I just think, like slightly different sides of the same same path. That's the, I mean, that was literally, because you guys can't see, but we are staring at each other on Skype. And when you said no, while I simultaneously said absolutely, we just, our eyes went so big. Like, it was like, yeah, it was what? like spy versus spy for a second there. Totally. That was crazy. Okay. My pick of the week uh, is what I already talked about earlier, just because I want you guys to give it a try. Give me some feedback. So on Aya's site, the one you want to start off with, the green tea, if you want to get into it, is called the Organic Matcha Infused Sencha. Once again, the organic part is really, really important. This is USA USDA Organic Green Tea. Make sure that you are looking for that for many reasons. Um, but yeah, so give that a try. For a full box of silk bags, uh, you're looking at $9.20 and just use the code MikesLessons15 for 15% off. Boom, next. All right, so I had an old college buddy remind me of a couple, of one album in particular that then sent me down the rabbit hole. So there are three albums that I don't think enough people know about that feature Steve Jordan at the height of his drum drummer era, like playing okay. the drums, fusion sure, music. Right. Um, there are three albums by Steve Kahn. There's one called Eyewitness. There's one called, it's a live record called Modern Times. And then there's a crazy one called Casa Loco. It is, this band features Steve Kahn on guitar, Anthony Jackson on bass. Wow. Uh, Steve Jordan on drums and Manola Bedrena on percussion. When I first turned on, especially Casa Loco, I was like, Wow, this could be a knee body record. This could be a beat really? music record. Like Steve Jordan is playing with Simmons and acoustic drums live. And it's it's pretty fantastic. Eyewitness, I think, is a masterpiece. Modern Times is just really cool to hear those guys play live that music. And then Casa Loca is just weird. They just went full on, let's get all the crazy stuff in the studio and just see what happens. Um, it kind of reinforces my theory that Steve Jordan every time he plays on a record it makes it timeless there's not a record oh, that he's ever yeah. played on that I've heard that I'm like wow that's clearly dated and out of you know sure. no longer cool um, so Eyewitness Modern Times Casa Loca Steve Jordan reminding us and also showing his heavy Steve Gadd influence like and who's the artist though? Steve Kahn Steve, uh, Steve K-H-A-N the guitarist yeah, you hear it's right like now. Steve Jordan doing all the Gad stuff, but with just that extra edginess that Steve brings yeah. to the table. They're they're amazing. I've been listening to them nonstop like a like a weirdo for the past week. Can't wait checking it out now. All right, brother. Well, um, congrats on our first in three years full on disagreement. <laughs> that was uh, this is an anniversary for us. So yeah, December nineteenth was the date we recorded this, and. <laughs> And I would say next, you guys can expect that next week's episode will probably be an entire episode of Pad versus Kit. Um, uh, you know what's really funny is I play on a pad every day, but <laughs> the actual question, is there a benefit? No. No. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely there is. All right, let's get that out of here. All right, buddy. I will see you next week. All right, later. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs>